Wake your ass up. Wait, that's not right, Hang on. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah, almost uh, two years ago in NOLA, the Sugar Bowl, and little did we know that that event right there, Bebo charging Ugga the dog, would be a part of what has become the most bizarre year all of us have ever lived. It has to be part of 2020 when a large steer is being sued. And joining us to talk about that, amongst other things, is... The Austin American Statesman legend, part of the Fab Four at the Statesman, the Cedric Golden. You are now inside stories inside the man cave. I, I'm glad I could make your week today, Ced. Uh, you absolutely made my week, my month, my year. 2020 just took a drastic turn for the best. I appreciate <laughs> it, man. Absolutely, man. This is long overdue. You know, I miss all you guys. Uh, I, I actually, being a part of the Longhorn Media Mafia was, honestly, it's right there on top of my achievements on my resume, and I miss all your faces, especially the conversation and the random uh, interactions we all had here and on the road. Absolutely, man, and uh, so many memories, great times, great venues, great mm. meals. We did, we did a lot. We did a lot of good stuff, well. and 2020 has been rough on everybody, and uh, you, you hope that uh that light at the end of the tunnel is not a train <laughs> yeah you hope you hope you hope it's a real light and that we're going toward it and good things are on the other side so uh but yeah man it's just a real pleasure to to be able to hang out with you and talk talk again absolutely and you know here's the big deal we are celebrating the 40th the 40th episode of stories inside the man cave and that that's even special to show you how much I elevate and put Cedric Golden on the pedestal. He's here to celebrate a monumental episode. So and what a better way to do it than to talk about initially before we transition to Texas Longhorn football is the fact that poor Bevo, he's still a youngster and he's the target of a lawsuit <laughs> and involving your former guy at the Statesman, Nick Wagner, who was a great photographer and, and a great guy. If now correct me if I'm wrong, Bevo's horns somewhat gored him in the back. I remember the scar that I mean the marks on his back that day. Definitely, definitely lacerated, cut, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Nick showed us the 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 marks, and it was it was not pretty. And uh, yeah, and he still has those. And uh, much more important is the back and neck problems yeah. that have come about. That's that's worse than a scar. Scar might not hurt, but the but the uh, when you when you're talking about neuromuscular yeah. problems, that's even scarier. So uh, hope hopefully Nick will be okay. Uh, hopefully Bevo, well, I'm, which I'm quite certain that Bevo has forgotten about this episode and has moved on in his life. It's been a couple of years. Oh, my God. Did I ever show you this, this story? So back in the KVU Channel Champion days, uh, you know, Mike Barnes and I were there, like everyone else, three, three and a half hours before kickoff. You know, all those Facebook lives we had to do, all those obligations, we're doing this and that. So we decided to go eat. And not five minutes to it, we sat down to eat in the media dining hall at the, at the uh, Superdome. That event happens, and our phone is getting blown up, asking why we're not there. You know, as if we could have predicted a large cow was going to charge a dog that day. So we all we did, we got no thanks. We just got criticized for not being there when that happened. You know, and Danny Davis, my co co uh, coworker, just happened to be down there. Yeah with Nikki Wags and they were down there hanging out and 
around that area. And it and Danny just so happened to be recording it. Wow. And, and yeah. And so Danny that night, his little video clip, we couldn't even cover the game because his his email was blowing up and his phone was blowing up. People asking permission. Can we use this clip? Yeah. <laughs> can we use this clip, CBS Sports? Sure, you can use it. Use it. And the clip went viral. I mean, up to now, I think it's like 9 million views. Yeah. And Danny just so happened to be there. And I, I, and I looked at him after the game. And we're marveling at how many people have watched it. And I go, you know, when you're done in this business, you will go down as the guy who videotaped the cow that's your Everest. You, you've been upstaged by a cow. You'll never top it. You'll never top it. And we just laugh about it. But it was one of those things where you just had to be there. Yeah. I saw the commotion. I was up in the press box. Yeah. And I was looking down on the field and, you know, going through some notes, you know, thing, you know things that I might, I might need, angles I might pursue later that night. And I saw the commotion go on and, I didn't pay it any mind. It was just a little dust up. And I saw people scrambling around. I go, is there a fight happening down there? And, um, and then like 10 minutes later, the videos start popping up. And oh, my God. And then I later learned that, that uh, Nick had been hit by Bevo. And long story short, after the game, we are in the – press room a uh, hospitality room at the hotel and the old writers are at one table and the, the daily texan kids are at the other table and and so i walk over and i'm talking to them and so one of the kids there is a photographer by the name of angela wang and i, mm -hmm. I think you know angela yeah yeah and great kid great great young photographer sweet girl and and i go did you get it Angela, she goes, no, 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 I didn't. She goes, I, I barely, she goes, I barely even remember it because I, I had to get out of the way. And then, like the next week, I see her, maybe two weeks later, and I see on Twitter that replays confirm that she got hit too. She didn't and realize it. She didn't realize it that night that she had been hit by Bevo, but she got hit too. And so Angela, long story short, works at the works for the University of Texas mm -hmm. as a photographer in the athletic department. But yeah, strange night, strange pregame, um, a great game, and a very misleading game. As it oh, turns out, yeah, and that that's a good segue because ever since then, the Longhorn Nation and I think all of us in the media at that time thought, okay, I wouldn't say they were back, but we never anticipated what would, you know, transpire last season and, and currently right now. My question to you as they line up to play Baylor, um, is this locker room in good shape or do you feel a fracture at all? I see division. Um, and I'm not – let me preface it, uh, Clinch. I'm not in there nah, with them. Nah, right. But what I saw in Dallas was Sam – and a couple of teammates yeah. staying for the eyes and other players leaving. Um, I still believe this. And I said it on, on uh, my own second thought podcast with Kirk Bowles last week that I'm um, not blaming Sammy, but if Sam had not stayed for the eyes and had just gone back to the locker room and Dicker, the kicker is out there who really cares. That's that Dicker, the point. kicker is staying for the eyes. Sam is the face of the franchise. Sam, to steal a line from the 70s Yankees, Reggie Jackson, is the straw that stirs the drink. And so, <laughs> exactly. so if Sam does something, it's more magnified than Dicker the kicker or a walk-on offensive tackle. So um, he made a choice. Uh, I understand his respect for the song. It bring it reminds him of his late dad. It mm -hmm. brings back some nostalgic, sentimental feelings, and he has a right to go out and and put his horns up mm -hmm. and sing the eyes. I give him that. The other guys who ref, who 
choose not to, they have a right to do that as well. Now, if I'm Tom Herman, I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because I don't, I don't want to alienate the franchise, Sammy, and I don't want to alienate the rest of the guys, many of whom are African-American from places like Dallas and Houston, which is also known as fertile recruiting areas in the state of Texas. You nailed it. Tom has a rough job right now. Well, to allude to what you just said, you know, Sam Ellinger, uh, this week you were, uh, you were present for that Zoom press conference, as you are every week. He acknowledged it. But what I thought uh, was interesting was is saying that this has somewhat been blown out of proportion, and this is what Sammy E had to say. I think it's a, a little bit of a misunderstanding um, with, with everything going on. I know it's been blown up and, and um, all over the place, but you know, I, I stayed on the field after for longer than, than my teammates. I was talking to coaches and players, um, and so I was out there for a longer time. You know, all of Oklahoma's players were running. You know, they won. They were celebrating, rightfully so. They won the game. And, you know, you don't want to stand out there um, when there's no band. And it just took a really long time, and there were a lot of, lot of um, things going on. And so – I know that there were a few other guys out there on the field. I know when I turned around to walk back to the locker room, Taquan Graham was there waiting for me. I don't know if he sang the song or not, but he, he didn't leave. I wasn't the only one on the field. And um, so I, I think there was a bit of confusion there. Um, but, yeah, I, after the game, I, I was talking to coaches and players and then um, remembered to, to walk over to where the band normally is, I guess, um, and, and sing the song. Cedric Golden. Austin American Statesman, sports writing legend. Did we all know Ellinger's authentic? That's from the heart. Do you? And when you heard, I think defensive tackle Taquan Graham says, well, "I'll be out there at, at, for the eyes of Texas." Do you feel like they're they're speaking the truth, saying this is being blown out of proportion? This is more so by the fans and everyone, or is it? Do you sense there's more to that within the team? I don't think anything's been blown out of proportion. Yeah. I just think that what happened happened and people right. reacted. These people that sing the eyes and their grandparents and great grandparents yeah. sung it, Sean, they, they care. They care. And they really believe that that song has a place uh, in the annals of Texas football and they don't want to change one word. Why is the word escape? in any school song. You know who escapes? Prisoners, people held captive. And so uh, I've read about the history. I believe that there are racist origins to the song. I understand how college football is all about tradition. Mm -hmm. And people, Oklahoma playing Texas, Michigan playing Ohio State, uh, Texas fans singing the eyes of Texas after a song, after a game, and before a game as well. Texas fight during a game. I understand all of that. But don't get mad at African-American people who are questioning where that song came from, its origins. And if I don't want to sing about a song I believe to be racist, don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. And don't get mad at me because I didn't know about the racist origins until a year or so ago. Personally, Sean, uh, when I was got when I first got on the beat, um, I want to say in '02, mm -hmm. I had heard this from several athletes, prominent athletes, who refused to sing that song. They would stay after the game, but they never uttered one word of it. Hall of Fame athletes yep. that have come through here. And so it's been known for many years. But back then, there was no social media. These kids didn't have a platform to speak out. Now all you need is a cell phone and an Instagram account or a Facebook account or a Twitter account. If you want your feelings to be known, you don't need the media to ask you about it. You can just go and post it yourself. Times have changed. Uh, these players are using their 
platforms to get their messages out. There are people inside those jerseys. There are people that go into those stands and they cheer for the burnt orange, but you have to realize they're also, those are human beings inside of those beautiful burnt orange jerseys that we see every week. That's an excellent point. And that's one thing that I, I'm proud to say for this podcast and several podcasts, but this one I can only speak of because it's our podcast. And that is having uncomfortable discussions since June and from Quan Cosby to several, all of our guests since June, we've had those uncomfortable conversations to understand. And I think you, where, where was Quan on this? Well, we haven't. I haven't had a chance to talk to him about the eyes of Texas. It was just more the social and racial and just oh, very nice marches very nice. and walks and um, you know. And I made a statement to Caleb Blewett and Tim Cole last week that uh, you know I went by to visit my mother and I you know she doesn't color is not something in her eyes, but I said you know what a lot of people and this pertains to this you know traditions. I believe in traditions, especially college football. But changing a few words, that should be taken into consideration. But when I was telling my mother, I said, you know, one thing that we never will understand as white people is what it's like to have darker colored melanin on our skin. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, we just won't know. You don't understand. Some of, some of that will never change the, the looks the feeling, the stories that, you know, I, you know, that we are told, you know, it's, we'll, us as Caucasians will never understand just from having darker color skin. And I'm going to tell you, Sean, that, that, that's a great, I mean, I'm, gl I'm glad y'all had that conversation. Uh, we're not asking you to empathize with us, me as a black man, but I am asking you to acknowledge that what I go through is different than what you go through. When I step onto an elevator with a white woman, there are many times, maybe half, five out of 10 times, or she will grab at her purse. They're getting followed around in grocery stores, in department stores. When I first moved here, I got a story for you. When I first moved here, 99, my wife and I were at the Highland Mall. Mm -hmm. And the Highland Mall had, a, I think we were at a Macy's, I want us, or Dillard's, one of those high end, you know, well known department stores. And we're looking at some stuff, and this guy walks up to my wife and goes, What are you doing back in here, white guy? Whoa. What are you doing back in here? And my uh -huh. wife goes, What are you talking about? And I go, and I go, we just moved here. What are you talking? I go, I don't know who you think my wife is. No, I know who she is. And he was adamant. And we had, we had like a couple of hundred dollars worth of stuff. And we were getting ready to check out. And it occurred to me that he thought that she was a shoplifter that he had busted before. He was mistaken. And... And I go, we showed, our, we showed him our licenses, and we go, we, are, we just moved here. I hadn't even had time to change my driver's license to Austin resident yet. Yeah. And we took all those clothes back. I'm glad you did. And did not go back to the Highland Mall after that. So those are the little things that black people go through. I've got a coworker. Um, uh, a great, a great guy, one of the nicest men that I've ever been around. Who's and he's a black man, and he's a photographer at the Statesman, and he's been pulled over dozens of times. He's a six-two black dude with dreadlocks. I've I don't get pulled over like that, but he has. He gets harassed when he's at a at an event because people don't believe that he's a photographer for the statesman. He's an award-winning cat and a family man and a dude who's never been in any trouble. Those are the kind of things that we go through. Our experience as Americans isn't always the same as a white person. 
Uh, if I'm driving down the street, Sean, and there's a cop car that's oncoming and passes me going the other direction, I can, I can speak for 99% of black people in America. I cut my eyes to the review to see yeah. if he's going to do a UE and pull me over. And when I get pulled over, and I have been several times in this city, or, or in my travels. I got pulled over one time coming back from the Golden State-Houston playoff game. You pulled over in LaGrange. Two in the morning. And I see those berries flash. I immediately call my wife on Bluetooth. Don't say anything, baby. I just You can record this if you want. I'm just letting you know this is where I am and this is what's going on. Uh, because... Uh, most white people, when they get pulled over, they're like, how am I going to talk myself out of this ticket? Most black men are like, I don't want to die today. That's our reality. That's real talk. Real talk. No, that's real talk. That Those are impactful stories. And that's uh, it adds to the reality of this world and what uh, this 2020, I know we joke a lot about how 2020 and a, and a pandemic, but we've also had a, what I like to call, a revolution peaking and that's what this year and i I've, i'm glad you contributed to that because uh all the stories we've heard since june impactful sage advice true stories that and some of them honestly you know there's some that i can believe and there's some that i would have never imagined like a couple of yours i and know. it ha and and and, and I'm speaking as a guy that people know. Yeah. So, so a couple of times I've been pulled over and they're all oh, Cedric Golden. How you doing? All right. I'm going, I'm going read your stuff. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But what about all those people that aren't Cedric Golden or John High or, you know, people like that. Anwar Richardson. Yeah. David Davis, my friend, Ricardo, those guys. So there are some, there are nameless faceless people uh, who are law-abiding, who don't always get that benefit of the doubt. And those are the people that we have to protect. I, I agree 100%. And that's, that's all part of this uh, shift, maybe a shift in paradigm, shift in, you know, the vision that everybody needs to put down, the tunnel vision. And it, not a good segue but or transition, but – do you think this Texas football team can, you know, obviously there's that question that they're divided, you know, from what occurred. And, and as you alluded to, Tom Herman is walking down this. He's treading water lightly because he doesn't he, – he wants to take sides. I mean, he wants to support his team. He marched with them. Fertile recruiting areas, Houston, Dallas, across the country. I believe him. I believe he's behind this movement 100% and his players. But – do you think that he can shift this team beginning with Baylor as far as let's infuse some confidence, let's infuse some positivity and take it, take the way the focus on all the negativity that's been happening recently. Absolutely. And the one thing that, that I've always believed in sports is winning is the great equalizer. It's not a panacea, but it will, it will, take down a lot of ills. Here's the thing. They're not, you know, the A&M campus was talking uh, under siege about the Sol Ross staff. Yeah, exactly. Before the season. And all the other social injustices that are happening around the country. They're not talking about social injustice in College Station. They're talking about that they just won their second or third in a row. They whooped Florida, then they went to then they went to Mississippi State and beat the Pirates. That's what they're talking about. They're not talking about social injustice in Tuscaloosa. They're talking about making another championship run. They're not talking about social injustice in Clemson. They're making another title run. In Austin, we're talking about the eyes of Texas and, pro and players uh, maybe not being unified. Why are we talking about that? Because they're losing football games. Yeah. They're two and two. They're not very good right now. But if they string, if they beat Baylor and they go to 
They go to uh, Stillwater and beat the mullet, put a couple of wins together, get to four and two. And this ice thing won't be nearly as big a story as it's been. These are the kind of things that happen when you're not very good. Uh, these kind of stories start to uh, take on a life of their own. When you're not winning, winning will unite a locker room. How many NFL teams have we said, oh, man, Charles Haley, people hated him. Charles Haley won Super Bowls, though. Charles Haley's in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Five Super Bowls, Hall of Fame. No one ever said you had to be best buds, but if you get on the field together and make beautiful music and win football games, then we're not talking about dividing locker rooms. We're talking about you having a special season. Texas isn't and that's that's the thing you know what you know it leads me can you imagine I mean you're not there the media is not there anymore it's all as I mentioned zoom zoom calls Tom Herman you know I've had this conversation this week saying questioning is he really transparent or is he handling the program on his own terms because there was that perception that um, CDC, Chris Del Conte, wants all the players of every sport out for the eyes of Texas. It's the players or student-athletes' choice to sing or not to sing. Do you think that there's any, I don't know, anything to this perception that Tom Herman's running it, running that program on his own set of rules? I think, I think that he is. I've been told that CDC would have liked to have talked to the players, but Tom uh, discouraged that and said, I will talk to my team. I believe that CDC wants all those players out for the eyes. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they put their horns up and sing is one thing, but he does want them out there. Um, I think that there will be more this weekend, but it's still going to be a split. And before, before any of this ever happened, I wrote and I said on podcasts, Whatever they decide to do, it better be uniform. Because if it's not uniform, it's going to be a mess. And what's happened now is you've seen Sam out there with just a handful of guys while everyone else left. Then you see the coaches out there. Um, so what you've seen is kind of a cluster F moment. And they need to fix it. If they all stay for the eyes and they all don't sing the eyes, it'll still be fine. But if you see what we saw at, uh, in Dallas, then that's not going to be good. It's not a good. It's not good optics for anybody, any team. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's, yeah, they got to avoid that at all costs. Either all in or all in the locker room or all outside. That's what it seems like. Now, I, I, maybe this is an unfair question. How they move the ball in the fourth quarter. And in those quadruple overtime periods against Oklahoma, do you think that Herman and Urisich may go to that air raid, let it rip offense to start the game? We should. <laughs> Can't run it. We should. Baylor hasn't hasn't played a football game since yeah. October the third. Those, those legs may be fresh, but those legs probably aren't in great shape. No. They just practiced on Sunday, Sean. So this is, per, this is tailor-made for Texas. Baylor has a pretty good defense on paper, but those guys aren't game. They're, they, ain't, they aren't game tested. They haven't been playing. So why, would, why wouldn't you run a hurry up and throw it? Let Sam throw it 40 or 50 times. He's your best player. You have depth at receiver. You haven't you, – you, you, Keontae Ingram's confidence isn't there. He's fumbled. Uh, Rashawn Johnson was banged up. Uh, Bijan Robinson banged up, and he's hasn't found his sea legs as a freshman. <laughs> but you look out on the outside, and you got Brennan Eagles is out there, and um, Jake Smith will probably be back, and, and uh, Brennan Schooler. And Tariq Black, you have depth at receiver. Okay, Brewer caught a, has caught a couple of passes So at tight end. So I think you put the ball in the hands of your best player, and even though Yersich might be 
might be um, hesitant to speed things up and, and go air raid and, and turn Ellinger into slinging Sammy, like <laughs> Kirk Bowles wrote. Yeah. Uh, I, I would test Baylor. I would test those corners. I would see if Baylor, if those, if those big defensive linemen can, can, can keep up in a hurry up. What's the one thing Texas can say is they've been in games and they're in game shape. I, I will test Baylor on that. So it'll, it'll be an interesting chess match between Harmon and his, and his old Cal Lutheran teammate, Dave Aranda. When they, <laughs> yeah, when they I forgot about that. That's hilarious. God, what, what did he say? Aranda had a story about uh, Herman doing PA. for the... Read, read, read the Statesman today. Read Statesman.com. I wrote about it. Read my column. I definitely will. Relationship. Yeah, he was a uh, uh, he was a Dave Aranda's host um, when he came on a recruiting visit, and Dave and Tom was a BMOC and <laughs> girlfriend, who's his wife now, played basketball at Cal Lutheran. He went to a game, and Tom Herman was the public address announcer, and they had strobe lights, and Tom. The music started, and Tom Herman jumped up on the table and starts dancing to the music. So <laughs> I'd kill, I would kill for some video of that. I would – oh, my video. God. That would be up there. That would be viral in less than 30 seconds. There is no doubt. Um, let's pretend this is two months from now. Where is this Texas football team? How do they finish? Six and four. Oof. Maybe. Yeah. Five and five. Oof. Look at this, Sean. They, they're going to be Kansas. Puka Williams quit, so they're going to be Kansas. No threats out of there. Um, and they were going to be Kansas if Puka hadn't quit. So uh, K-State at the Little Apple could be a loss. The mullet next week could be a loss. Iowa State coming in here could be a loss. So they have mastered the art of playing to the competition. Was I shocked that they gave OU all they could handle and probably could have beaten them if they had just gone for two when it was 38 all? No, because they show up to play OU. But it's the Oklahoma States and the TCUs and the K-States that they struggle against. Always. They should be minimal every year the number two. They should be Jan Brady. They should be the second sister in the Big 12, but they aren't. They're, they're, in, they're, they're in that second tier, and, and OU's usually in the first tier. Now, it's changed this year, and Iowa State and Oklahoma State are the odds-on favorites right now, but Texas blew, absolutely blew a great opportunity to win the Big 12 this year. When, when they give the ball to Keontae Ingram on back to when he catches mm. a 50 mm. yard pass mm. and then runs another 17 yards on the next play, why are you giving him the ball on the third play when you know his history? You know his history. When they got down to the goal line in the Sugar Bowl, what did they do? Sammy on first down, Sammy on second down, pounded Sammy until he got into the end zone. Sammy never should have handed that ball off. That was the play call, but it should have been it should have been quarterback power to the win all the way. They beat TCU, and then all of a sudden they're more confident. And even if they lose to Oklahoma, they're still a one-loss team and very much in in control of their own destiny. But with two losses and knowing they still have to play Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and K State, they're not going to win the Big Twelve, Sean. They aren't. They blew their chance. They should have won. They should have beat OU, and they should have beat TCU. Uh, at the minimum, with that win with Tech, they should have been two and one in conference. They yeah. should have been, but yeah. they aren't. History's not on their side, and uh, we're now starting to learn about a younger generation that don't remember when Texas was dominant at all. It's been That's- 15 years since they won a, since they won the championship, and and <laughs> and 11 since they appeared. 11 years since a 11 years since a conference title. That's like Wolf Brand Chili. It's been too long. <laughs> When's the last time you had some Wolf Brand? It's been too long. When's the last time you won a Big 12, 2009? It's been too long. It's 11 too long. years. That's, that's, that's yeah. frightening. It's frightening. 
11 years since Colton Jordan Shipley and Quan. 11 years. Too long. Yeah, that's way too long. Um, Not Quan. I think Quan was gone five, six, seven. Yeah, Quan was gone by then. Let's see. That was, Quan yeah, was 08, right? Quan played in 05 championship game. So yeah. five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there you go. So yeah. Quan was in 09. That was, that was Malcolm Williams. And you remember dropping the touchdown from Gary Gilbert? Oh. Remember that one? Oh. He catches that touchdown, and maybe our conversations are different today. Much different. You know what I remember most about that game, though? Mark Ingram got hurt. Mark Ingram, the Heisman Trophy winner, got hurt. Yes. And I look at Kirk Bowles and I go, that's not good for Texas. And Kirk goes, why? I go, because that kid behind him, Trent Richardson, is better than Mark Ingram. And Trent Richardson comes in and catches, what, a 75-yard swing pass, takes it to the house? Gone. Something Mark Ingram – Mark Ingram didn't have those kind of jets. That was before uh, Trent Richardson became a bust. He wasn't a bust in college. He was a bust in the pros. He was a hell of a college player. Yeah, he was. He, God, they were so deep. And then – we may be still talking about head coach Will Muschamp. Or head coach Mac Brown. Yeah. Either or. If Mac, if Mac if Mac Brown beats Alabama four years after he beat USC, Mac Brown's still the coach. Today. That's two championships. That's you don't fire a coach that's won two championships. You just been. don't. And if he had beaten Baylor in twenty thirteen. Oh, it would have been a champ. day in Waco when, when Case just didn't have it and, and people were saying, man, they should put in Tyrone Swoops. That's how bad it was. Case just didn't have it that day. As many good memories as Case gave us when he was quarterback. That year. He didn't have yeah. it that day. And if Mac wins that game, Mac Brown was a big 12 in 2013. And Mac Brown's still the head coach today. I think you're right on that. I think he would have still been. I've, all I got to say about that day, Cedric, I spent some cold winter days in Oklahoma City and Kansas City for for uh, work. That was the coldest experience I ever had that day. Twenty thirteen Texas Baylor frozen fog, frozen black black ice on the road back to Austin. We donutted. I was driving. I didn't know that. Driving my two thousand and my two two thousand and whatever Toyota Four Runner, and me, Kirk Bowles, and Mark Rosner were in there. And we did a donut on 35 coming back. Luckily, there was no one behind us. And we were only going like 35 miles an hour. Yeah. You couldn't see the ice on the road. It was horrible. Was it was brutally cold, brutally cold that day. It was awful. Um, before we get to your man cave story, wrap up with your man cave story. I, I, I love how you are very candid. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, follow Cedric Golden on Twitter especially on Cowboys game day. Um, your true thoughts and opinion on what's going on with first-year head coach Mike McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. They're banged up, don't have a lot of options. Um, is there any hope that this team puts together any sort of run? They're going to finish 6-10 and 10 and win the NFC East <laughs> and, and host a playoff game. <laughs> that could happen, man. Yeah. That could really happen. They are, they are so – remember just three years ago we were just marveling at, oh, my God, Jerry Jones put together the best offensive line yeah. in the league. And then you look up and now uh, Tyron Smith is on the shelf. Uh, Lyle Collins, the other tackle, is on the shelf. Um, Zach Martin has a concussion. He's on the shelf. Um, Travis Frederick, the great center, retired with an autoimmune disease. Mm. So he's gone. And Connor Williams, the draft pick out of Texas, is up against it at guard. Yeah. That's probably what it is. He is up against it. And what, what uh, two things out of this game that I, I was at the game Monday night, and two things came out of it to me. They quit at the end. That defense quit. Kenyon Drake for 69-yard touchdown. Really? You let Kenyon Drake do that? So I think they quit. Number two, the anonymous reports coming out from Jane Slater saying uh -huh. they, the coaches don't have a clue, they're not prepared, blah, blah, blah. The coaches can't teach effort. You're a professional, and you didn't try hard. And they never didn't try hard for Jason Garrett. Say what you will about Jason's X's and O's, but they usually played hard for Jason. 
I don't think they respect Mike McCarthy, and that's a Mike McCarthy problem. Even though he has great credentials, better credentials than Jason Garrett, they don't respect Mike McCarthy. And I think they're a coddled bunch, and they're talking to the media about the coaching staff and bully for Jane to get that, get that information. I respect her. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm in that locker room, I'm not happy that my teammates are chirping to the media after we got our butts kicked by four touchdowns by a second-year quarterback um, who's, who's really, really entertaining to watch in person. Do you think I, – I, this is the impression I'm getting. It's Hey, do you think they have a systemic issue of entitlement very similar to the systemic entitlement issue at Texas? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you why. The Cowboys have been living on that America's team thing for a long time. The last time the Cowboys won championship, we both had hair. Full <laughs> heads <laughs> of hair. I had the flowing curly locks in 1995. And so uh, they can't – they can't live on that anymore, mm -mm. especially if they're in a division where every team in the division has won a Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Every team in that division, the Eagles finally won one, and the, the other three teams have won mul multiple Super Bowls. And, and the, the division is there for the taking this year. Uh, what, it, what it really did to me, and I wrote this Monday night, is Dak Prescott presented the greatest argument for the fact that he should be um, richly rewarded with a, a four-year contract that he wants for whatever, $35, $40 million a year. And he didn't have to say a word. All he had to do was not play. He masked a lot of ills. If Dak Prescott is in that game, Sean Clinch, it might not, it's not going to be 38-10. to 10. It might be 38-35. But it ain't 38 to 10 because Dak Prescott could move that offense. And he was on pace to have an historic year. 6,000 yeah. yards passing, 45 touchdowns. I mean, that's, that's the kind of year that he was going to have. And we're not even talking about the rushing touchdowns. So, and now you, now you got that banged-up offensive line. You got a butterfingered Zeke Elliott. Whew. Got the Altuves. He's got the yips. He has them. And, and, then, and then you have a defense that's, that's just built of Swiss cheese and no guts. And you got a coach who doesn't have the respect of the locker room. It's entitlement one-on-one with those injuries. Extreme, extreme issues, beginning with the owner, Jerry Jones, who I think is part of the problem, but you can't fire the owner. All right, let's wrap up like we always do. With uh, a man cave story. I want a Cedric Golden classic man cave story from either your life or something humorous from your career. <laughs> something humorous from my career or my life. That's a good question. So give me now. So you've had other guests on here. Yeah. So what kind of man cave? So you're saying something that happened to me or. Oh, that you experienced like Caleb Blewett last week uh, was talking about in 2013. Mac Brown wasn't happy with it. It was a hot practice, and he interrupted practice two thirds of the way through. And then he imitated Mac in his high pitched voice. Mac <laughs> interrupted practice and says, "We're all going swimming. We're gonna go swimming. We're gonna go so, swimming." And then he was talking family. about that. And he and I'm trying to think of there were some other ones. Uh, Oh, there were so many. We've had some good ones on the previous 39. I got one. I got All one right. for you. It's not for my career, but it's. Oh, it's it be life. But it was from when I was 20 years old. Here's one. Okay. Um, I'll give you two. <laughs> These are good because I always, when I speak to kids and, and uh, businesses or whatever, right. I tell these two and inter intertwined. I'm 20 years old. Uh, I work at a steakhouse in Tyler. Oxford Street to put myself through college, working the Sunday night shift, and we close at nine o'clock on Sunday night. Eight fifty, this these two men work walk walk in. These two African American gentlemen. One of them's a big dude, big ball headed dude, and look look sturdy. And the other ones are the older, but you know, 
first thing I think is, oh, my God, I'm closing tonight and I'm the only one left and I got to <laughs> wait on these guys. And I was hoping to be home by 930 because I had class the next day. And so they walk in and I go and the waitress sit, or the hostess sits them in my section and I walk over to him. I go when I ask him, well, what would you like to drink, gentlemen? Introduce myself. The older guy says, I'll just have some water. And the younger guy, the big dude, the big ball-headed dude goes, uh, could I get a large orange juice? And I said, okay. Bring out their drinks. And so the big dude starts talking. He goes, yeah, I got to get my, my road work needs work. I need to do, I got I to gotta, I gotta go harder than I've been going. Because if we're going to make this work, I got to buy all in. And the older guy goes, well, you can do it. And he goes, you're a heavyweight. And so you're never going to be in great shape, but you're, as long as you have your power, blah, blah, blah. And then it occurred to me who it was. And I'm just, and I'm bugging. I am absolutely <laughs> bugging. And I bring, he ordered two lobster tails and a baked potato. That was the, that was his meal. And he had a salad. And I sat down his lobster tail and I looked at him and I said, are you George Foreman? <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah, I am. And I go, oh, my God. I go, I go my dad loves you. And, and so I take a photo with him after it's over. And I go, you're talking about road work. What, what's going on? He goes, I'm coming back. I'm, I'm, I'm getting back into boxing. Before the return. This is before the return. Oh. And I go, and I go, how old are you? And he goes, I'm 36. And I was 20. That's, yeah, that sounds because he's like 16 years older than me. And I was 20 years old. And he goes, we're going to go after Tyson. Which is 1990. <laughs> no, no, it was 89, 88. I think it was 88. We're going to go after Tyson. And he meant it. And they never fought. He never got Tyson in the ring because Tyson ended up going to prison for rape. Yeah. And um, I get home. I'm living with my parents. I get home, and my dad's there, and I go, Dad, oh, my God. I go, I met George Foreman tonight, and we took a Polaroid of it. I said, I met George Foreman. And I, uh, and he goes, really? And I go, he goes, was he by himself? I go, no, no, no. He was with this, he was with this uh, older, older gentleman who had a, who had a little hat on, like a beanie almost, a uh, gray-haired guy. My dad goes, you idiot. That was Archie Moore. That was a mongoose, um, who's the greatest, arguably the greatest light heavyweight ever. Archie Moore was training George early in his return. And I didn't know who Archie Moore was. My, my boxing knowledge went, started with the 70s heavyweights, with Ali, with Foreman, with Joe Frazier, Kenny Norton, those guys. Archie Moore was a generation before. And my dad was like, you should have got a picture with Archie Moore. Because my dad loved him some Archie Moore, too. So, my, all right, and this is my last one. So, like, I want to say it was two years after that, I'm in Detroit at the NABJ conference looking for a job, Sean, looking to network, trying to get in the, trying to get in the, in the journalism business. Right. So me and this girl that I work with at the Tyler paper, we're going, we're going to a job fair. We happen across this ballroom and there's this little old lady sitting out side the ballroom and she's at this little desk and she's got this book. She's obviously, and it's a picture of her on the book. And I walk up to her and I look at her and I look at the book and I go, are you Rosa Parks? No way. And she goes, yes, I am. What's your name? And I go, and I go, I'm Cedric Golden. And, 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 and I'm waving to my friend because she had a camera and she was taking pictures of everybody. And I, I go, can I take a picture with you, please? She goes, it would be my pleasure. I put my arm around her. My friend took the photo of us and she literally threw the phone through the camera at me and she runs over she puts her arm around rosa parks click click i take a picture of her as soon as that happened not 20 seconds later sean there is a line of like 150 people 
try waiting and not to get a picture with the Rosa Parks. Her wow. people come out and they go, there go there's going to be plenty of time for photos after her presentation, but no one gets a photo if you don't buy a book. I had like $24 in my pocket. I couldn't afford that book. I didn't get to buy the book, but I had the photo with Rosa Parks. And those are two of my uh, big, most prized possessions. A photo of myself with George Foreman and a photo of myself with Rosa Parks. Two significant Americans in, in, Very in history. And Very significant. Wow. Wow, Sid. You, you met some people who made a difference in, uh, in civil rights and, and just, to, just to society as a whole, and, and in, both in East Texas, correct? Uh, Rosa was in Detroit. Detroit, Detroit, you mentioned that. At, but, but George was in uh, Tyler, and George is from Marshall, Texas, yeah. um, originally moved to Houston as a young man, but he was, he was from Marshall, which is in East Texas. It, and you know, uh, if I remember correctly, I think some of his family – has uh in corrigan in the corrigan area i think that's lufkin lufkin yes i know where that is that's wild that's uh it's very small world well said you have uh definitely delivered big time especially with the stories and all the feedback and i've always valued your opinions but what a way to end the 40th episode of stories inside the man cave than to hear about the george foreman and of course rosa parks Two names I never thought I would hear on an episode, and that's pretty significant. That's an hour. I appreciate it, my friend. Man, my pleasure. Uh, don't don't wait another forty to have me back on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so we will put a wrap on that for B- the absent Big Mike and Coach Mo. We uh, I'm going to eat. <laughs> We good, player.